Amen. All right. As that's being passed, um, hey, today we are going to be, I'm going to read at the beginning here from Isaiah chapter 9. All right, Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. It will be on the screen. Um, I am going to be honest. I, I am like really trying to focus in here. But some of you guys knew this. Some of you, this is news to you. Uh, like I said, I was out of the country for about 10 days. Got back uh, Thursday morning at 1 a.m. Um, and that was after traveling about 28 hours. And this was a seven-hour time difference. I was over in the region called the Balkan area. Uh, we're going to talk more about that come March. And I'm incredibly excited just about what God is doing there. Um, it is a, the phrase we just kept hearing was the... The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And that was, I've never felt more like the Apostle Paul in the New Testament as we drove from one country to another. We'd, we'd go to sleep in one, or we'd wake up in one country and we'd go to sleep in another one. We, were, we, we hit Albania, Kosovo, Macedonia, Montenegro, back into Albania a few times and just kind of all over the place. And we'd go and find these churches and just kind of encourage these churches that maybe had seven, eight, ten, twelve people. One of them was, was just two. It was the person leading it and actually someone who is from a Muslim background who's a minor and like she can't even come out and say that she's a believer because it's illegal for a minor to be like talked to about, about things like that. And, to, and so like it just was, it was crazy. We even had one moment in a church where we're like looking at some of the leadership and kind of being like, hey, um, I, I don't think that this relationship that's happening there is, is great. And like, I, I seriously just felt like the Apostle Paul of like, you think about the letters and what he's saying and the encouragement. And it was an amazing trip. Um, I am still kind of feeling some of that. I am back on the regular uh, sleep schedule. I kick jet lag pretty fast, but it's because I stay up the entire time. All right. <laughs> so that helps you fix jet lag. It does not help you fix how tired you are. All right, so, but I'm excited for today. Uh, today's kind of a chance for us to just, to talk about Christmas. Um, I, I didn't want to miss this opportunity. Uh, this season is going incredibly fast. Does anybody else feel that? Like, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, okay, next week is our kids' Christmas program. So th that kind of takes up a lot of the service. We're not going to be talking a whole lot about Christmas things there. And then the following week is Christmas Eve. And I'm like, holy cow, this is like, we are just flying through this. And so today, I, I just am excited to be able to share a little bit about uh, Christmas. And so uh, this is kind of our one week to focus in on Christmas uh, in a message and hopefully to try to get the right like mindset for the season um, so that we can be approaching this the way that God would want us to. And so today, we're going to look at the idea of waiting, Okay, of waiting, because that is what we are currently doing. We are waiting for Christmas. So let's just kind of be ready for God to speak to us. Let's not miss these opportunities. Uh, if you're willing and if you're able, would you stand with me? We're going to read just a passage this morning. Uh, this is one of the uh, prophetic passages out of Isaiah that is talking about the Messiah coming. And so this is, I, I love this. I'm actually going to read a couple verses. Um, so we're in Isaiah 9. We're going to read a few verses and we're going to skip down and read a couple others, okay? So starting in verse 1. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. 
For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. God, we just pray that, uh, Lord, help us just to kind of make the, the mindset shift that maybe we need to make today so that this season can be meaningful, that this season can, can change us, God, that this season can be more than just a blur of um, all the different Christmas traditions that we have on the calendar, God. So we, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Christmas season is, is always so unique. Like, there's nothing else really quite like it. Uh, it's such a great and happy time for so many. Uh, it also can be a really sad time for others who are maybe in the process of, of grieving something in their life or grieving someone that they lost this last year. Uh, Christmas can be a time that can bring up some bad memories, depending on what your family was like as you were growing up. Christmas, for some, might bring a lot of stress and anxiety uh, maybe it's from all the things that you feel like you need to get done uh, right now and you're feeling that pressure. It could be because you are getting together with certain parts of your family. And every time you get together with that part of your family, it just brings stress. And there's just no other way to say it. Uh, there's a huge mix of emotions in this season. Um, and, and I actually kind of love this. And, and we see this. We see this in Christmas movies too. Like think about Christmas movies. There is a wide spectrum of like the, the emotions and the ideas in Christmas movies. Like we have the, the remorse and guilt and depression that is felt in It's a Wonderful Life. Right? Like that movie is just like so sad for like so much of it. I have such a hard time watching it. Like it, it and so then you, you have like Scott Kelvin, you know, Tim Allen in the Santa Claus, who sees Christmas as a time to make money and, you know, all these different toys. And he thinks that all the celebrating and the magic of Christmas is beneath him. Then you have like the, the waiting and the longing and anticipation of Ralphie as he waits for that Red Rider BB gun. Right? Uh, you have Charlie Brown who is feeling like a little empty and unfulfilled and he's just looking for something more. All right? Uh, you have the pure optimism and joy of Buddy the Elf. Okay, we just watched this one with our kids this week. Love it. And then you have Bruce Willis's thirst for revenge in Die Hard. Okay, no, I, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, despite what anybody tries to tell you. All right, but. I know that's, that's a heated topic, too heated for church, I think. And, and you have a million other Christmas movies out there. That, like, if you think about it, we have all these Christmas movies, but they, so many of them take a different approach to Christmas. You're looking at the holiday through a different lens, through a different filter, um, and all these things kind of just play differently. And what I want today is, is for us to maybe kind of lean into some of that mixture of feelings and emotions. I don't want us to think that like Christmas should just be this joyous and happy time. Because I've been there before where I kind of, and maybe even as a pastor, just like feel this guilt of if I don't think that Christmas is always just absolutely amazing, that there's, there's something you know, wrong with me or wrong with my way of approaching this. And, and I don't think that that's necessarily the case. 
So I want us to start by talking about, like, what is Christmas? Or if you're a Charles Schultz fan, like, what is Christmas all about, right? And Linus comes walking out and gives the whole monologue from the Gospel of Luke. And, um, and, and so we know that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. But I want to make it even a little bit more generic than that. Um, in a more generic way, Christmas is about celebrating simply the fulfillment of a promise, all right, a promise that humanity and the Israelites had been holding on to since, since the beginning of their story. All the way back in Genesis, God starts this promise when, um, you know, we have Adam and Eve and they eat of the fruit and, and they've kind of screwed this whole thing up. And, and God tells the snake in the garden that an offspring of the woman will crush the head of the snake. And so basically, as soon as we screw things up, God shows up and he's like, all right, I'm going to make this right. And we have this promise, and he starts this whole plan in motion. And the story of the Old Testament is the story of this rescue plan that God has. And what we see is that time and time again, we are not able to rescue ourselves. Like there's moments where you think that maybe this person is the one that's going to come in and kind of fix all of this problem. But what we just keep seeing, like that is the story of the Old Testament. If, if you thought the Old Testament was about good, godly people and how you should live, you don't have to read very far to realize that that's not what the Old Testament is. The Old Testament is really just massive screw-up after massive screw-up of us not getting it right. All right? And so really, we need someone specific who will come and fix this. We need someone who will fulfill this role, the Messiah, which just simply means the anointed one. And that's, that's what they're looking for through this whole story. And it's interesting that we, we have different people who come up in the story of the Israelites, and you start to think with each one, maybe this is the person. Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is the person who will lead us back into the right relationship with God. You have Moses and Joshua and Samuel and Saul and David and Solomon and Elijah. And, and none of these people are able to do it. And it spans so much time. Like the theme through the Old Testament, if nothing else, one of the biggest themes is simply waiting. From the first promise of the Messiah in Genesis 3 to where God even pulls Abraham aside and says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And this is going to be kind of the path that we're going to go. From that time, you're talking about 2,000 years. That, that's, that's a long season. Abraham then to Moses, kind of the next figure that we see that maybe this is it. That's around like 430 years. Moses to David, or, or you could kind of, you know, this is also Saul when they have a king that shows up. You're talking three, 400 years in this time. And you have the, the temple built by David's son Solomon. And from the temple until being captured and the exile in Babylon is over a little over 400 years. And they're in captivity for 70 years. And with each one of these events, uh, people were thinking, maybe this is God completing his promise. Maybe Moses will, will lead us out of captivity and, and we're going we're gonna to move back into this right relationship with God. Maybe David is the one that can fix this for us. And then God says, no, the Messiah is going to come from the line of David. Maybe Solomon, his son, like they said he was going to be one of David's offspring. Maybe Solomon's the one. He built the temple. This is amazing. We have a temple for God. And then they're captured and taken away. And just like think about the emotions that an entire people group had 
over the, this, this massive story. Like, this is their history. And, and what I want for us today, I want us to try and tap into the feeling of like this longing and, and hoping and waiting that they were going through. And then after they actually come back from captivity, we have what's kind of called the 400 years of, of silence and where, where it almost seems like God isn't there. They aren't seeing God speak to them in the same way. There aren't prophets that are showing up. And, um, and actually this time up until Jesus is about 500 years. But this is, this is, we don't have any of our books in, in our Bible that are from this period. Uh, actually, the, the Catholic Church, some of the Orthodox churches, uh, they do have some books from there. That's like First and Second Maccabees that are more historical, talking about some of the revolts that happened. But this season, like think about this, they've been longing and waiting for this promise to come. And then all of a sudden, when, they, when they're coming out of captivity and they're going back and they're rebuilding things, and they probably more than ever are looking for direction from God and thinking this must be the time to just have like silence for generation after generation after generation. And this is the scene that Jesus comes into. This is the setting of what is happening. And I think if you've waited that long for this promise, like you've seen so many different things, things that have been hard, they've been falling apart, you've had seasons of joy, you've had seasons where it looks like it's going the right way and then it turns the wrong way. And you would think that after all this time, when this promise that you've been waiting three and a half thousand years, that's about, you know, all that added up, three and a half thousand years, you would think that if the promise is finally going to happen, that you've been waiting on, that there would be a little bit of fanfare, that this would show up in a pretty amazing way if this promise is finally going to be fulfilled. Which is why the birth story of Jesus is so amazing. It is so stripped back and unexpected. And because it happens in this way, and people had expectations for what they thought it would look like, so many just missed it altogether which is human nature, like so often we miss things that God is doing. I think often I've thought like, man, how did they miss Jesus? I, I wouldn't have missed Jesus. I don't know. As I start to put myself in some of these spots and think about it, man, that's, that's hard. And, and I want to say that I, I think we are in just as much danger of missing what God is doing today, what God is doing in this season of our lives, as they were in missing this promise that they had waited on. Like, think about the last couple weeks of your life. Okay, think about the next couple weeks. Think about your calendar, all the things that you have going on. Think about your family's lives. For me, I, I have had tons of Christmas programs at school. All right, that you're trying to get to. I still have one more that I have to go to. Get to go to, sorry. <laughs> get to go to. Christmas programs at church, gift exchanges at school, work parties that are Christmas parties, uh, all the different Christmas parties that you're going to, 
Emily this last week texted me and was like, we need to go Christmas shopping. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. That's a thing too. We need to, we need to buy things. We need, we need to run around and do all this stuff. This afternoon, I think our plan is to try and put our tree up and decorate it. And I still have not put Christmas lights up on the house. And if I put them up, then I'm like, I don't want to take them down right away. I did all this work in the cold, and so then they stay up there too long. And it's this whole thing. We just got a bunch of groceries so that we can try and pretend like we're going to make Christmas cookies at some point. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I, I think if, if, I, if I were honest with myself, if I were to say that when I look at my year-long calendar, if there is a season that is more busy and I am more likely to miss God's voice in my life than any other season, it would have to be from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Like, think about it. That if there's a season where we are most likely to miss what God is wanting to do in our life or say to us, that it is the season that arguably most of us spend the most time supposedly focusing on God. Many Christians' Christmas season is so busy that they would struggle to hear from God. They would struggle to hear from God. And that is a problem. This is what this season is supposed to be all about. But I think some of our, our commercialization of Christmas has made it hard. And I, I'm not going to like go off on a rant here and, and rag on like commercialization of Christmas. I actually think in some ways that's been good because people know what Christmas is. And we can just very easily talk about it with people. But... But the, the sad reality is like we have allowed all of this to kind of twist the way that we approach this season. And I know that there's a, there's a big push right now, kind of in some churches, to go back to the idea of Advent and to approach Christmas in a different way. That's something that we've been doing the last few years is we've had seasons of Advent where we've talked through that. Um, traditionally, Advent would be the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Many of you probably know this. Um, and Advent is more of like a somber, reflective season. Each week focusing on a, di- on a different theme. And then actually starting on Christmas, traditionally you would start the 12 days of Christmas. Like that's not 12 days leading up to Christmas. It was Christmas. And then you celebrated for 12 days uh, afterwards. And each day had something to celebrate. And when we did this, I think it actually allowed the Christmas season to have the different emotions that maybe are appropriate. That leading up to Christmas, you can kind of take a step back and have a little bit more of a somber approach, a reflective approach, a way of waiting and trying to connect with the story that has been our history. And then as you get to Christmas, then it allows you to celebrate. Um, But the problem is in our world, the day after Christmas, everything Christmas goes on clearance, and then you're on to whatever holiday's next. I don't know, President's Day or something. Do they have candy for that? Valentine's Day, New Year's. You know, like as soon as one thing's done, we have to jump into the other. And I think that we've done a disservice as believers allowing the rhythms of the world to instead shape the rhythms of how we celebrate the coming of our Messiah and Savior, which is a pretty big mistake, I think. And and this is is what I want for us, is to kind of just take this, the next few weeks here, as we do move towards Christmas, and to be able to reflect in the way like, like Advent does. And, and to, be, to be looking forward 
and to allow these different emotions to kind of come through. Because the reason why it's so important for us to connect with what they were going through is they waited three and a half thousand years for the Messiah. As they waited on that promise is because we today are still waiting on a promise. We today are still waiting on the coming of the Messiah. And that's how we connect in these things. And and it, it is important for us to do that. It's important for us to stop and think about this promise that we are waiting on. Because it's easy to feel like God has forgotten about us. Like if we're being honest. You know, you, you, you talk about this idea that like Jesus is going to return and we believe in the imminent return of Christ. That means at any moment Jesus could return. But I think if most of us were honest with ourselves, we aren't living like that's actually true and about to happen. And I think sometimes it's because we get into this mindset of like, well, we've been waiting, you know, this many thousands of years. I don't know. I, I doubt it's going to happen today. And that's how you end up missing what God is doing because that's exactly what happened with the Israelites in this season is they had been waiting three and a half thousand years on a promise and they started to miss it. When we look around at the world, I know for me, like we, we can feel like we have this, this need for a savior. The same need that was probably felt 2,000 years ago. Like when I look at the world and, and things that are just the brokenness of our world, it's like, man, Jesus, now more than ever, is kind of the feeling that's easy to get. All right, I, I think I want to read a, a couple passages here that I think help us kind of remember some of these things. In Romans chapter 8, it says this, But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Like so often people want to ask, like, what, what, what should we be doing with the world around us? How should we be responding to everything going on? And they'll say, like, man, it seems like the world is getting worse and worse. And, and honestly, maybe in our short lifetime, we could say that the world's getting worse and worse. Maybe that's the feeling of your experience and things like that. Uh, but let me just tell you, like, it isn't. The world has always been groaning. What the world faces today is not worse than what it faced in Jesus' time. We, we need to be better students of history sometimes to realize, like, there, there have been some, some terrible seasons in this world. And our world is groaning and waiting for a Savior And we see that in all of creation, in the world around us and in us as part of creation. Longing for things to be made right, like the the, the sickness and, and the death and disease that's going on in our world. Like it just, we long for something to be made right. We're waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. Later in Romans 8 it says, these verses you probably recognize, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? 
Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Scripture paints this beautiful picture. It's a picture of how the world is longing and groaning for things to be made right. And then it holds this promise that one day they are going to be made right. And the beautiful thing is that in the meantime, as we wait, we actually aren't just left in a broken world. We actually see God breaking through in different ways, and we get a foretaste of what that glorious future is going to be like. Because Jesus came the first time, like our waiting actually, I would argue, is not as bad as what theirs was. Because we have the Holy Spirit that is, that is moving and doing things and we're seeing God break through and we're seeing in moments, even if it's just moments, things being made the way that God wants to see them. We're waiting for things to be made complete. And so we're supposed to wait, but we wait with hope. And while we wait, we, we will have junk that happens and our hearts are going to break Tragedy is going to be present in our life. But we have hope. We have hope for something in the future. And this hope isn't wishful thinking. It's something that we have, we have a certainty of. Hebrews 6 says this in verse 13. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there is no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. It's a crazy amount of time that, that Abraham waited. He was promised a son. And it did not happen the next month, the next year, the next decade. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I love that. We have this hope for something in the future that is going to help us and it's like an anchor. I want to share one last kind of visual that I found. This isn't something necessarily from um, that, that the original author would have been saying here in this moment. But it's, it's just an amazing thing that I, I have found a, a great way of connecting this idea of this anchor for your soul. All right? Um, is anyone in the room someone who likes to sail? That does not surprise me. All right? Didn't think that would be the case. There is a, a less known term in sailing called warping. Okay? Another term is kedging. 
They're both kind of similar to each other. They both sound kind of weird, all right? Uh, both make use of kind of like either an anchor or some type of fixed point on land. All right, kedging had a specific anchor, whereas warping would use like any type of anchor or fixed points, whether it was a tree or like knobs along the dock, things like that. All right, and what happened with it was if you needed to get out of a harbor, if you needed to get somewhere and the wind was blowing against you, maybe the current was going against you, you know, you had sailboats. How are you supposed to go against that? Or you're in a harbor. Think about it. If you've ever been up to like Duluth, you see all those waves coming in. All right, think about a boat that's trying to leave out of there. So what they would do is this. They would take an anchor and they would throw it out in front of them. Or if it was a larger ship, they'd even put the anchor on a little rowboat and they would row out in front of them and they'd drop this anchor down, this kedging anchor down. And then what the boat would do is it would actually pull against that anchor and it would move them to where they want to go. All right, and it's, it's this like crazy sailing thing that still is somewhat used, not as much because now most of the time they just throw like a, a, an engine on there and they're like, well, just easily get out of here. All right, and, but I love this, this visual. And, and Hebrews says that we have this anchor for our soul. We have this anchor that is rooted in the promise that God has given us in this hope. Now, here, here's the thing that's difficult for a lot of us. That promise is in the future. How are you anchored to something that's in the future? How are you anchored to something that hasn't happened yet? How can you say, well, I know this is going to happen, and someone who doesn't believe is looking at you saying, well, you don't know that. It hasn't happened yet. And I, I get this picture of this, this anchor that's in the future. And what we do is that when the current is against us, and the wind is against us, and the waves are battering against us, and we think there's no way we're going to get to that future, you can actually just pull against that future and say, nope, we're, we are using this thing in the future, and I'm going to pull against that, and it's actually going to move me in that direction. It's going to get me there. All right, and this is what you have to do in those moments. When things are, are terrible, when tragedy is all around you, when life is just struggling, and you're sitting there and you're like, how is life going to be made better? And we look at the future and we say, God, I know your promise is there, and I know you aren't going to break that promise. And because of what is in the future, I'm going to leverage that to actually get me through this, to pull me towards this, and to say, God, I, I believe in you. I trust in you. And at that point, it doesn't matter that the waves are coming against you and you're going against the current. You can get to that spot. And, and that's what I love about this idea that this, this promise is the anchor for our soul. I think for some of us in the room, like we, we are moving towards Christmas and there might be all sorts of emotions attached to this season for you. And there's a good chance that not all of those emotions are joy and happiness and good things. It might feel like at times that the current is against you. I, I want us, my challenge is for us to slow down, connect with the roots of what it means to wait on a promise, to not give up that hope, to wait with hope, to have this expectation, and it actually allows us then to celebrate because we know something is coming in the future. It allows us to celebrate. Things might not be great right now, but this isn't the end of the journey. We have a promise that we are hanging on to. And at times, it will require us to trust that promise more than we think we're even able to. More than our circumstances around us would maybe let us. 
And it might even require us to start just like pulling ourselves forcefully towards that promise, being like, nope, I'm believing in this. Because when, when we focus on the world and all of its problems, we are going to be filled with fear and anxiety. But when we focus our hope in Jesus, we are going to be filled with peace. And so in this season, as we are waiting, in this season when we are longing for things to be made different and to be better, I want us to slow down and to wait on this promise, to connect with that feeling of longing, that this Christmas time does not need to be just running from one thing to the next to the next, and I have to put on a smile, and everything's great and happy, and I, I think we need to slow down at times. Let's, let's stand together, worship team, you guys can come. We've got two weeks left, and I want to challenge us to slow down. Maybe you don't have control over that calendar. You know, I, I, I have things I'm going to. I'm not going to just say, oh, never mind. I'm not going to this kid's Christmas program. Like, I still have all of that that's going on. But at the same time, I want to slow down, and I want to just be able to say, God, I, I want to hear from you right now. I'm, I'm not okay with the fact that this time of the year is probably the time where I'm least likely to hear from God. I'm not okay with that. I, I, I need to be in a place where I can hear from God, where I can feel that he's, he's moving in my life. And this promise that he's going to return, this promise that we read at the beginning of the service of a Messiah coming, we can hold on to that same hope. And all the junk that you're dealing with right now, it's temporary in the grand scheme of things. And it may not feel temporary. I'm not trying to just say like, oh, it's easy, forget about it. But we have to remember this promise and realize that it's temporary. In this Christmas season, we need to keep that perspective. We need to keep that perspective. That we have a promise that we are waiting on being fulfilled. But that promise comes from someone who is faithful and true to his word and it will happen. And that promise that may be far out in the future that anchor out there is something we can pull on when times are hard and the current is against us and the waves are pounding. So I want to just ask this question. What things in your life are you hoping for? And I'm not just saying like wishful thinking, like what's on your Christmas list. Like what things are you genuinely like holding on to and saying, God, I, I need you to show up in this area. Connect with that in this season. Connect with that. What things are you, are you longing for and you're waiting on in your life? What areas do you need God to come through in? And allow that to create anticipation for what is to come. Because that's what Advent is, is it's creating anticipation for the season that's coming, for the day that we get to celebrate. It's not saying don't celebrate Christmas now, it's saying allow that longing to create anticipation to move in where we're going. So we're going to do this as we, as we close. We are going to sing um, about, actually, technically one of the only Christmas carols that is appropriate prior to Christmas, and that is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. All right, and if, if you know this song, I mean, it's just, it has that somber feel, 
It's written in like minor keys. And yet it has this line in there that says rejoice. But what they're rejoicing in isn't in the fact that it's happened. They're rejoicing in the promise that it's going to happen. And that's what's so amazing about it, that we can celebrate things that have not happened yet. We can celebrate things that are still in the future that we're waiting on. And so I want us to take time. We're going to go into that. Pastor Aaron, why don't you come, kind of move us towards prayer team, things like that. Uh, And then we're going to sing this song together to close out. Yeah, I just want to invite the prayer team to come to the front. We're also going to have prayer team member in the back, but... I don't know about you, but there's some, uh, there's a line earlier in the message that Josiah said, and it's just been resonating with me. It's just, what rhythm are you following? Are you following the rhythm of the world, or are you following where God's leading us, or where God is leading to you, leading you? And I don't know, maybe that was just for me, but man, that just really stuck with me. Like, we get so caught up in what is happening all around us, and yet God's like, I've got this for you over here, and so. I don't know. Maybe that was just for me, but maybe that stuck stuck with somebody else here this morning. But um, yeah, let's let's be waiting in the correct way. Let's be expecting. And so I just I just want to pray for us before we go into our time of singing. And, uh, let's just pray together as a church family. Let's do life together in the next few moments as we as we worship and we pray. And so, Father God, um, I I thank you for this just this moment where we can just slow down and maybe just step out of the crazy rhythm of this world to be reminded of what what you have already done. God, in an amazing way, connect us to those who were waiting for you when you came the first time and how we are waiting for you to come back again. Like, understanding that we're not alone in this. And so, God, I pray right now for each and every one of us for the patience that we need to wait. God, I pray that we would stay still enough to find your rhythm and what you are asking each and every one of us to do and how we wait. God, as we wait with hope, God, give us the ability to share with others who have no hope. Like, there... There is something for us to be doing in this time of waiting, God, and help us to see that. So in the next few moments, God, I pray as we as we sing this song that these words would resonate with us and that there is hope and that we can rejoice, but God, you are asking us to also do something. So help us to respond this morning not just say these words, but to respond with how we live our lives and how we wait for you. Thank you for the anchor and the hope that we have in you, knowing that you will return and that you will make things right. Thank you for this opportunity this morning.